Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day and welcome to our special ETF edition of The Call. 10 ETFs picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Wednesday, the 20th of April. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have your company. So if we're going to do ETFs, well, there's one man we have to include. That is the ETF whisperer himself, <laughs> Andrew Wyland from DP Wealth Advisory. Andrew, g'day. Oh, uh, Andrew, I thought with no Henry, you know, that we could yeah. drop the whisperer thing, but of course, straight out of the gate, yeah, you've got go. the United Adam beside you, what, what more could someone want on a Wednesday afternoon? Well, yeah, there you go. Okay, so yeah, we've got Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. So if Andrew is the whisperer, what's that make you? Are you shouting or what's, what's going on? I'm not too sure, but maybe the viewers can decide on what kind of uh, nickname <laughs> they want to give me. But uh, look, I'll just say I'm, I'm, I'm here just to support the whisperer. Good one. All right. Yeah, we've got a bit, bit to get through. So uh, in fact, um, just before we do that, I wanted to ask you, Andrew, why do you need to have ETFs in your portfolio? So Andrew, how long have we got? We've got 56 minutes. Uh, look, it, it's, it's really just around the diversification piece. Uh, and in fact, uh, I won't sort of steal one of my answers for a little bit later, but when we, we'll talk a little bit later around volatility. Having ETFs in your portfolio really not only gives you diversification, but depending upon which ETFs we're talking about, can really help limit that volatility as well. And it also gives you exposure to areas where you may not have as much exposure to things like um, uh, electric uh, batteries or might be uh, healthcare or esports and gaming or whatever the case may be. So diversification and a bit of risk management as well. What about crypto? And I say that because it has been announced that Australia's first Bitcoin ETF set to uh, list next week uh, on the SIBO, uh, but it, it's actually going to be investing in Canada's Bitcoin ETF. What do you make of that? Look, I think it's pretty exciting and certainly not where crypto is at the moment or Bitcoin is at the moment. That price is obviously under a little bit of pressure, but I'm sure Adam's been the same where daily people are saying, hey, can I get involved in this? How can I do it from an ETF perspective? And up until recently, the answer, of course, is no from an Australian perspective. Uh, I note the media commentary today talking about it could be potentially the first ETF to see a billion dollars in flows. Guess we'll find that out after next Wednesday, which is the uh, suggested day that uh, this ETF might list on the ASX. But from a again, from a choice point of view, it gives um, people the opportunity to be buying that asset. Would I be suggesting put, people put a whole heap of money into it? Probably not, but I wouldn't be suggesting they put a whole heap of money into crypto for again lots of reasons. But from a choice point of view, from a market evolution point of view, I think it's um, it's mm. pretty exciting. Yeah. All right, Adam. Yeah. And, um, a Bitcoin ETF, is that something you would consider? Yeah, look, it's something that you could definitely put in part of your portfolio, 5 10% of your portfolio. Absolutely, you can do that. And obviously, crypto is not a new word these days. I know you've got a show on this, you know, it's dedicated for an hour or so. It's dedicated to, to crypto. So 
Um, I, I think that there is definitely a need out there and that's what these ETF providers are doing. They're just putting a need into the market. And obviously you could potentially see some flows coming from it. Um, looking at the underlying assets, yeah, it is copying a little bit from that sort of Canadian side of things. So is it a true uh, crypto? Probably there's a little bit of yes and a little bit of no. Yep. Um, I think day one, this thing's going to trade really, really well. I think day two is probably going to trade really well. But then after that, I think the exuberance will fall out of that stock or the ETF. And then potentially you might see some more normalization. And that's probably where you'd look to invest. Not day one, day two. All right. Okay. Well, look, um, the first five ETFs we're going to take a look at on the show of Annex, so Global Private Equity, ETFs uh, Semiconductor, BetaShares Global Ag Companies, Vanex uh, FTSE Global Infrastructure, BetaShares Asia Tech Tigers. But before we do that, let's just get to our stock of the day, getting away from ETFs for just a moment. We're going to, have to take a look at Rio. It has maintained its guidance in the Pilbara, despite reporting an 8% drop in iron ore shipments in the first quarter. Uh, labor shortages, supply chain snags, they're curtailing the miners' efforts to ramp up operations. Shipping uh, 71.5 million tonnes of iron ore compared with 78 a year ago. Production for the quarter, it's down 6%. CapEx guidance reaffirmed, expected at about $8 billion for this financial year, saying it is anticipated a challenging first quarter with production expected to lift in the second half. This as it warns of downside risk to the market expectations due to geopolitical tensions and those COVID lockdowns in China. However, it's expecting commodity demand to continue, underpinned by the global energy transition. Shares have slipped this morning off 1.7. Adam, mm. where does Rio sit in your portfolio? Well, look, Rio is definitely the number two uh, player in the space. So you, you, BHP would be sort of number one, Rio number two, and then Fortescue number three for that iron ore production. Rio certainly looks like a very good diversified miner. So obviously Fortescue is basically got one product, one customer, iron ore and China. Whereas Rio has that diversification, aluminium, copper, uh, diamonds, iron ore, those kinds of things. But the use of the term challenging, I think, is what we need to really focus on. And, and they also need to lift their operational performance. And I think that is a key thing going forward because it says it all. Rio's got a long way to go to regain its mantle as one of the biggest global miners operators in the industry but the problem is that if the commodity prices weren't where they are today mm. this would be a very very different story and so it is really being held up by the inflated commodity prices and yes they talk about china they talk about covid they talk about the tailwinds that are happening there but uh, sorry the headwinds that are happening there but if we didn't have the tailwinds of those commodity prices i think it would be a very different story so i'd be cautious we're a neutral uh, on rio prefer bhp at the moment and certainly Fortescue is looking a little bit more attractive on that sort of value metric, but yep. uh, Rio is a neutral from us, so I'll say hold. A hold, okay. Andrew, your thoughts? Well, of course, I'm struggling here because it's not an ETF, only joking, only joking. <laughs> 20 years of being a used share salesman, I've still got it when it comes to direct equities. Um, look, with Rio, everything that Adam said, um, it is a somewhat one-trick pony um, when it comes to iron ore and then of course you throw a little bit of copper and, and aluminium in there as well. The other thing that uh, Adam kindly uh, sort of um, was sort of avoiding, uh, but I'll say it, is the ESG uh, component relating to Rio. So of course there was uh, concern and rightly so with the destruction of those Aboriginal caves mm. and there are a number of investors, I certainly know my clients and more broadly in that sort of ethical social governance space 
We've actually avoided Rio for that. Now, you know, they're obviously contrite and redemption and all that sort of stuff. But uh, that might be sort of weighing on ESG funds and their ability to invest, remembering that uh, for every $2 invested into ETFs in Australia, a dollar is looking for a place with an ESG focus or ESG home. So uh, that would be the other reason I'd be probably a little bit cautious. So similarly to my learned friend, Adam, I too would be a hold. Okay, good one. That is Rio. Right, well, let's get into it. We are talking ETFs today. The first uh, picked by you, Vanek, Global Private Equity ETF, GPEQ, diversified portfolio of the 50 largest and most liquid global listed private equity companies. Jason wanting to know, saying it's very small, uh, liquidity would be an issue, but uh, what does Andrew think of the theme itself and the major holdings? Look, um, it, as, um, as we just heard, it has only recently just listed, I think it listed in November, uh, and its, its funds under management is only about $13 million. So, I mean, look, $13 million is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of funds under management, it's not a heap of money. And its performance hasn't been great, but to be fair, uh, the sort of broader market and uh, in particular uh, the index at which it follows, which is the, I'll see if we can get it right, the LPX50, which basically follows the 50 largest private equity uh, managers across the world. It's down, and in fact, I think it's down about 14% over the last three months. Um, probably my concern with this one is that it's really heavily exposed to alternative managers, uh, your likes of your um, Blackstones, uh, your Apollos, your KKRs, etc. Uh, they make up about 47% of this index. So it's not sort of a, it's almost like when you look at the Australian share market, it's you know, one third banks, and you've got a good um, healthy covering of materials, then you've got a good bit of CSL, and then there's about 190 others. It's sort of almost that type of thing where you're very skewed towards one particular area. So at a high level, uh, global private equity makes sense. But is this the right vehicle to do it on? I'm not quite sure. So certainly, I think it would be a hold. Hold, okay, Adam. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's it's one of its only kind of its kind in the market, and and you need to have that differentiation in the market to be potentially somewhat successful. But just to going back to that liquidity side of things, there's a there's a vast or a common misconception within ETFs if the liquidity is low in the actual transaction or trading. That actually doesn't mean that the underlying assets in what we call liquidity in ETF is the underlying assets. Are they liquid? Because that's the main thing. There's a market maker in there that will always create that price and they'll always be there. If nobody's trading it, there will always be a market maker there. So the misconception of low liquidity, it's, you, know, you might look at it, but it's actually about the companies that are, uh, that are uh, invested in the GEP, GPEQ uh, asset list. So as Andrew rightly pointed out, 50 of the largest private equity uh, global groups that are there, and they are quite liquid in, liquid in their own right. So I'd sort of be careful when you're worrying about those kinds of things. I don't think that that is uh, it's a common misconception. The next thing is, is that um, private equity is actually an asset class, not a theme. And certainly if you are looking for an asset class to then continue to move forward with your uh, investing, then this is something that potentially you could look at because private equity has a longer term time horizon, seven to 10 years. Mm. It's quite lumpy. It's quite, um, how can I say, uh, it just takes time for some of these um, assets to come to fruition. And then if that does reflect in your portfolio and you're comfortable with that long lead time, 
then I think this is something that you could potentially look at. I don't look at it for my clients. I'd like to see some more track record for this one. As I said, it was only in November last year listed. So I'd be, I'd be careful with it at the moment. I'd give it some time to get a bit of a track record. Private equity is a, is a tough space with a long lead time. I'm gonna stay with a hold, the same as Andrew on this one. I yep. think this is probably uh, something that you could give a little bit more time going forward. Okay, let's move on to our second one. ETF's Semiconductor, uh, it tracks the performance of the Selective Global Semiconductor 30 Index. Uh, contains 30 companies in the developed markets, Taiwan, Korea, uh, David asking, he says, I've recently invested in it, what I believe would be solid stocks for the future, though it's struggled. Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so semiconductors, obviously there's, there's lots of talk about uh, supply chain issues and semiconductor issues, and this is probably one why it's stagnated a little bit. But obviously, if you look at supply and demand, the demand is definitely out there for these semiconductors, whether that's you putting it into a TV, a Tesla, a mobile phone, all of these kinds of things that are demand is definitely there. Um, although um, semiconductors is, isn't just semiconductors, it's cloud computing, it's robotics, it's AI. So it does a lot of that uh, kind of um, overall um, investing in this. So I think it's a really important thematic for clients to have in their portfolio. I think it's definitely worthwhile looking at this. Basically, it is can be somewhat of a cyclical, cyclical by nature. So you need to uh, look at this one from a, a longer term or point of view. And as demand increases, as in case the economy does, as in you know cloud computing and all those kinds of things, then that should do quite well to uh, moving forward with an ETF. I'm going to go a buy on this one because I think the overall arching supply and demand there is demand for these kinds of semiconductors in cloud computing, robotics, and AI. I think this one is a good one to stick in the bottom drawer for your portfolio. All right, good one, Andrew. So, yeah, do you agree with that? Obviously, short term, we've got those supply chain issues, but longer term, Adam's just outlined why it's a positive. I'd be silly to go against Adam, wouldn't I? Because he's, <laughs> uh, he, he's, uh, he knows a lot about this sort of stuff. And look, I, I think everything he said is bang on. The other thing, uh, and this is a satellite, and I might sort of each one of these as we go through whether I think it's a core holding or a satellite a holding. So certainly in the case of the first one, the private equity, that's probably a satellite. This is equally a satellite as well. Probably the other thing, um, and this is a theme which will run through a lot of today as well, is these rising bond yields, and therefore the impact on valuation on technology companies. So bond yields 12 months ago, what, Adam, 1.2% in the US, something like that, 2.4% today. So we've had this massive rip up in bond yields. Talk of the US Fed doing 50 basis points early May, Bollard not ruling at 75 basis points. So that's putting real pressure on these styles of companies. So not only, there's really two headwinds going on here. There's sort of the real economy and supply constraints trying buying a car at the moment what a car is potentially up to 40 percent chips and uh, they just can't sort of deliver those chips uh, but then on top of that you've got valuation concerns as well we'll actually get a pretty good insight tomorrow that asml that sort of dutch company that sort of actually is involved in making the equipment that makes semiconductors they're actually announcing their results so we'll get a bit of a, a read on that I like the thematic, I like the ETF, but I think the, the my short-term concern is the valuation headwinds, so I think it's a hold. Okay. All right, let's move on to uh, Bittershares Global Agricultural Companies. The ETF is food. 
It aims to track the performance of an index that comprises the largest global ag companies. This is ex-Australia, but it is hedged in Australian dollars. Olivia wants to know, is it a good way to dip into the food shortages idea, Andrew? Yes. Yes, Andrew, it is. <laughs> um, so a friend of the show, James Whelan, who's a regular uh, on The Drop, um, he uh, he got onto this very early. He was calling this in the high fours, low fives. I wasn't as astute as James. I sort of got on this about the 550s. But uh, I really do like this ETF for a, a couple of different reasons. And when I first started suggesting it, it was more so around uh, food security, it was more so around climate change, but of course uh, the, the real or one of the big kickers at the moment now is around inflation and what we're seeing uh, concerns around that, obviously concerns around Ukraine, uh, etc. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this ETF. I like this one a lot. It's actually performed pretty well. It's up about 20% over the, uh, the last 12 months. It's got strong exposure to fertilisers about 32% fertilisers, packaged meats, ag, ag products, ag machinery, and it's got names in there like uh, Nutrien, Archer Daniels, Deer and Tyson Foods. So I can think of lots of reasons you would want to be in this one. Um, so it is a buy. Buy, okay. It has, Adam, it has uh, appreciated significantly as we see yeah, there. So well, do you agree? Mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, this one uh, is... Uh, 100% yeah this is this is a buy um, and just to go to further some of Andrew's comments there um, with the conflict in Russia and Ukraine Ukraine represents more than 25% of the global wheat exports so global not just European and accounts for more than 15% of the global corn exports as well so that really then shows you that this this market or supply in this market is very very tight with minimal spare capacity going forward does concern me that they don't have an Australian side of things to it because I think the Australian arm, we are going to do very, very well on our agriculture and we saw Grain Corp upgrading. We saw a lot of these other businesses upgrading just last week. And in fact, I spoke to a couple of my clients who are farming clients and they said they're going to get a winter crop this year, which is the first time in, in, in many, many years that mm. we're because of the rains and everything else. So I'd love to get an Australian exposed one, but obviously this one um, is looking at that broader commodity prices. And I think this is a good way to play the food shortage idea that's happening at the moment. All right, good one. That's a double buy. So take a look at that one, the Global Ag Company's Food ETF. Let's go from food to infrastructure. This one from Van Eff, uh, it is, uh, a diversified portfolio of infrastructure securities listed on exchanges in developed markets. Uh, Emmett wanted to know the panel's opinion on the IFRA ETF with rising interest rates expected. What are the implications then? Yeah. Uh, Adam. Yeah. Um, look, infrastructure, I guess, is one of the few asset classes that has had a really good return so far in 2022. And really, that is the current environment really bodes well for asset being uh, for this asset class being obviously supply chain issues with some more soaring commodity prices and labor costs mean that existing infrastructure assets uh, have increased pricing power because they're uh, because they're trying to replace or rebuild some of those assets. And the income from those infrastructure assets are going to continue to rise in line with inflation. So this is a really, really good one to have a look at that. Obviously, the, the current economic backdrop is looking well to benefit from further infrastructure spend. 
We do know that the US has continued to look at uh, infrastructure uh, going forward, and that's certainly one that uh, has done well. And overall, it is documented that the global infrastructure deficit in major economies around the world have identified new investments and that are needed to be in this space. Just to use an example of the US and a lot of their airports, you look like you're sort of traveling back in time into the 1980s and 70s in a lot of these airports and their major hubs around the world they really need a really big uplift in that as well. Yeah, so, a lot of their highways too, literally yeah. falling apart too. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that needs to be upgraded and these kind of uh, businesses will do that um, going forward. You looked at the share price, it's probably done pretty well, um, but I think with that overall backdrop of that infrastructure need, I'd still be okay with this one and still be happy to buy it. Okay, you've got to buy on it. Yeah. Uh, Andrew then, yeah, well, obviously we know the case for infrastructure. Adam's just outlined that. Taking a look at the price, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, uh, so again, continuing our core versus satellite conversation, this is a core, so infrastructure is a core. And interestingly, Andrew and Adam, um, there actually aren't too many specific infrastructure ETFs. Mm. So um, not throwing shade on this one, but uh, compared to sort of other categories where there's a plethora of them. In the case of infrastructure, there's probably only three or four. So I'm quite comfortable with IFRA. I think IFRA is a buy for all the reasons that Adam just outlined. But as we uh, as we heard from Emmett, Emmett quite rightly points out one of the headwinds facing infrastructure is around rising interest rates. And obviously, when you're looking at infrastructure uh, and the valuation, it isn't sort of the dollar value of the asphalt of the highway. It's in fact the discounted cash flow as to how much revenue we think with the tolls we're going to receive or whatever the case may be over the life of the asset. And as interest rates are rising, that will therefore impact your DCF, your discounted cash flow valuation. But um, I really do like this one. Number one holding is Transurban. Uh, and, you know, there's a whole swag of other ones in there from Canada, from Spain. So, again, it's one of these sort of global um, infrastructure plays. But uh, you really do need to have infrastructure in your portfolio. Nothing wrong with IFRA whatsoever. Okay, that's a double tick then for Vanex Global Infrastructure ETF, IFRA, I-F-R-A. All right, let's move on to our fifth one. We're going to talk tech, uh, BetaShares Asia Tech Tigers uh, ETF. It is ASIA, Asia, comprising the 50 largest tech and online retail stocks in Asia. This is ex-Japan. Includes uh, the giants such as Alibaba, Tencent, Beidou and JD.com. Uh, Darren wanting to know, uh, is the timing right to plunge into Asia uh, through that uh, British shares ETF called Asia? Andrew. I was just uh, rereading Darren's question because I saw the word plunge in there and I thought he was actually referring to the share price because as we'll see in a moment when the chart comes up, that's what it's actually done. It's yeah. plunged. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, one of the main ones being, and some of those names that you just mentioned before, Andrew, in your preamble, the Tencents, the Alibabas, the JD.coms, they were all flying along until the Chinese government decided to sort of change the rules, if I can put it so delicately. And so markets don't like uncertainty. Markets don't like government intervention. When you're dealing with China, that's just part of the way they are. You know, you've just got to understand that. And so that's why there was a big sell-off in that space. And now if you look at the composition, it's now around 12% Samsung, 12% TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor, 
uh, and the, the likes of Tencent, Alibaba, etc., their weightings are falling. So that gives me some confidence that you're actually starting to see other names come through and less of these sort of government impacted ones are not. But then if I look at the country breakdown and all these, this data that I'm getting and I'm presumably Adam is getting as well, I mean, we have access to research. A lot of this stuff though, you can literally just go to the website for each one of these ETFs. And one of the other benefits of ETFs, Andrew, is they're incredibly transparent every day. Just what are our holdings? What's our allocations? So you yourself can see this, but you can see that China is still 43% of the exposure to this particular ETF. So if we're worried about um, Shanghai being shut down relating to COVID, if we're worried about the Chinese economy slowing, if we're worried about potential sanctions against China for their uh, alleged engagement and assistance of Russia with Ukraine, you know, all these sort of noise that's out there at the moment, and you've got an ETF which is 43% exposed to one country, that would uh, would make me concerned. So uh, I would think this is a hold, even though the underlying thematic makes sense. Is there an alternative? Not in that particular space, because again, it's very specific. Mm. You could make step back and say, well, maybe I could look at emerging markets exposure. So if you're looking then at emerging markets, so, emerge, so this is a satellite, emerging markets might be then considered to be more of a hold. So you then might look at um, IEM from BlackRock, you might look at VGE from Vanguard, or you might look at Femex from Fidelity. The issue with the first two, heavy China exposure, uh, because they're following an index, whereas Femex uh, is more actively managed by Fidelity and therefore has lesser exposure. But any emerging markets ETF is going to have pretty heavy China exposure. Okay, Adam. I don't know if I can top any of that. That was uh, that was well done, Andrew. Well done. Um, He's or, done his research. Well, he has. He has. Which he knows you would expect. Absolutely would for this show. <laughs> absolutely. Um, look, you know, all, all of that. Uh, it, it's all about regulation mm. and and yep. the regulation with uh, geopolitical risks, as well as U.S. listing of Chinese ADRs, has really, really put a. a um, uh, a dampener on on any Asia stocks. Now we are obviously part of that Asia, and we do definitely um, uh, fall or happen to what happens in China. Obviously affects us as well. The Chinese government definitely came out and said that they are going to ensure market stability. They are going to, they are taking measures to support overseas stock listings and to complete a crackdown on big techs uh, as soon as possible. But look, overall, I feel that this one is uh, there is that regulatory crack crackdown, but also I see more risks appearing uh, going into the Asian equities going into 2022. For me, it's somewhere I've got IAA in my portfolios for that Asia exposure. But again, as Andrew said, it is very heavily weighted to that Chinese side of things and has struggled a lot. So I'll be really careful with the Asia businesses at the moment until we see that real uh, crackdown on regulatory issues from China and they make the market feel comfortable. This is probably one to avoid for the moment. All right, I think that's your first avoid, actually. Yeah. So, uh, well, you've got plenty to choose from, that's so that's right. fair enough. All right, well, let's uh, review where we've been with our first five um, ETFs then. And, uh, well, in fact, we began with our stock of the day, which um, was Rio. So uh, we began with uh, direct holding there. Uh, Adam's saying, look, it's a good diversified miner, but he is cautious. Uh, he prefers BHP and perhaps uh, Fortescue's got a hold on it as does uh, Andrew, and he also brings up those ESG concerns, which is something well, the uh, new CEO is trying to address at this point. 
All right, into our uh, ETFs, our first one there, Vanex uh, GPEQ, uh, private equity. Uh, Andrew's saying, look, it's, it's pretty new, it's small. Um, he's got a hold on it, as does uh, Adam, saying it's um, underlying assets are liquid, but there is obviously the, the initial uh, issue there was whether it is uh, perhaps too illiquid at this point, and you've got to be in there for the long term given it's private equity. Uh, the second one there, uh, was the semi-ETF. Um, Adam brings up the supply chain issues that are current, but he's got a buy on it. Uh, Andrew's saying, look, he split his ETFs into satellites and core holdings there. He's referring to this one as a satellite holding. Likes the thematic, he's got a hold on it. And um, to our ag company's ETF, probably titled Food, um, both liking it given what's going on with the broader macro issue, uh, themes at the moment, uh, obviously with inflation uh, and also the uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, Adam saying actually Ukraine making up 25% of wheat exports globally. So uh, both have a buy on the, the food ETF. Vanex uh, Global Infrastructure ETF, IFRA, IFRA. Uh, Adam saying uh, obviously benefiting from that large infrastructure spending we're seeing across the board at the moment. He's got a buy on it, as does Andrew. He's calling this one a core ETF, uh, and uh, although he does raise concerns perhaps about those rising interest rates, which is a potential headwind there. And just finally there on the fifth one, the uh, Tech Tigers Asia. Um, Adam's got an avoid on it, and Andrew has a hold. All right, so let's catch up with the call. It's uh, tracking its own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee, the latest episode of that committee meeting. Live for you to watch on ausbiz.com. Let's check in on the portfolio update. JB Hi-Fi, ProMedicus, Linus, Intertech Pivot were added to the fund this month. Joining the original stocks and 20% is being held in cash. I know Adam, last time he was here, a bit alarmed by that figure. Mm. So far, our fund is up 0.8% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. So... Keep in sending your requests and uh, keep the call switched on, of course, to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, the second half of the show, we're going to be looking at Vanek, so video gaming and esports, uh, British shares Australian quality, Vanek wide moat, ETFs, uh, battery tech, lithium, and rounding out with a request for which ETFs to hold for retirement. All right, that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into it. So our first one here being Vanex video gaming and sports ETF, uh, ESPO, exposure to a diversified portfolio of the largest and most liquid companies involved in video game development, esports, and related uh, hardware and software globally. Carly, wanting to know, uh, it is obviously a growing industry, but is it investment worthy, Adam? So I'm gonna uh, come out with this one and say it's a buy. 
No, okay, off the yeah, top. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a 12-year-old son. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can see exactly the amount of gaming time that we have to pull him back from. And if he, if he, if he could, he would game all day, 24-7. And yeah. I reckon there's pe- people, kids out there, it doesn't need to be kids anymore, adults, that are gamers. Well, yeah. it's not just participating, it's also watching. Correct. Yeah. On YouTube, yeah. Uh, Twitch, uh, he's got all Discord, he's got all the platforms, uh, and it's amazing to watch. But basically, there's already 3 billion gamers worldwide, and that is one in three people on the planet who play some form of video games online. So that key penetration for growth is going to continue. Now, the stock price has been sort of languishing or has sort of been moving around a little bit. Maybe languishing isn't the right word, maybe it is sort of falling. Um, but one of the things that this, these guys do that I think is quite interesting is, is that it doesn't have a lot of the big gamers um, uh, like a Microsoft. It doesn't have those kinds of things in it. It's very much the, um, the, the companies that have this in their portfolio have to have more than 50% of their revenue from gaming. Mm. So Microsoft doesn't hit that mark. Yep. So it, it, it is actually at the sort of the pointy end of, of, of what a true ETF is as far as this is part of the gaming regime. Um, it's got a lot of Tencent in there though, and I think that's really what has hurt it, and, mm. and that's, a, that's an issue. But if you look at that overall, just being online gaming or just being something that is not, it's not just about games anymore, it's a lifestyle, it's, 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 it's a culture that is growing up with this. I'm, I had a Commodore 64, I was only allowed to play with it for a certain <laughs> amount of time, but I didn't have the socialized gaming that this goes with, yeah? yeah. It, I, I'd sit when friends would come over and we'd play it, but this is all, they're all online, they're all chatting, they're all got their, their friends and, they, and it is a social uh, side of things. This can only get bigger and bigger, and I think this will continue to get bigger. The share price has been tough because of Tencent and some of these other larger holdings inside it. But I'm going to stay with it because I really, I see, I see it every day, and I try and pull my son, 12-year-old teenager, back. Mm. But it is not just for the kids anymore. It is one in three people globally playing video games online. So I just can't see why this will continue to stay in the doldrums. Yeah, okay, Andrew, yeah, if we've got kids, we've all got a story to tell about gaming, (laughs) haven't we? We've come a long way from those days, um, and I'm sure I can include you in this, when we had to go to the nearest milk bar to start gaming on the Gallagher or Space Invaders. Yeah. I can see see Adam there flipping his uh, Commodore 64 tape drive and trying to find uh, the appropriate game. Look, everything that said i yep. i agree this is a satellite sorry i should start off this is a satellite um but that theme of rising bond yields in the short term just till we get a get that a bit of an idea how hard is the u.s fed going to step on interest rates are they going to sort of tap the brakes or are they going to go all fred flintstone on us and put you know their foot right through the uh, the floor and potentially have a policy mistake uh, and that's really what's going to be impacting the valuation of a lot of these satellites at the moment. So everything that Adam just said about the thematics is absolutely bang on. And if you look at some of the names, you know, you've got Nintendo, you've got AMD, you've got Activision. But the other big name that Adam, Adam referenced briefly, the big names are hurting them, and Tencent is one. The other big name that's hurting them is NVIDIA. And NVIDIA uh, was on an absolute tear because you couldn't get a graphics card for love or money. 
and then of course crypto prices have been falling so the demand for these graphic cards has been coming off they then had that failed takeover of AMD as well and so if you look at the Nvidia share price the Nvidia share price not a pleasant looking chart either so you've had a couple of big names hurt them you've got rising bond yields but if you can just get through that noise uh, you know, and I would think the bond yield story, we should have a better view on that by towards the end of this year than a number of these satellites, including ESPO, will sort of be coming back into vogue. But if you're asking me today, it's a hold. All right, even though it's come off significantly, as you can see there from November. I think it'll come off some more if they have this okay. policy mistake. And I'm, and I'm concerned, if we go macro for a moment, I'm concerned they're going to have a policy mistake. All right, Adam, you want to add well, something? Well, my argument, Andrew, is is that they've already made the policy mistake. Uh, the Fed has already gone too late. They've even said that they should have gone six months ago to raise interest rates, and they're they're doing the Fred Flintstone now. They're they're trying to they're they're trying to play the catch up. But there was some talk yesterday about uh, inflation potentially might have peaked, and it's going to take some time for that number to to work through the system. We can't see one month is 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 an indication of what's going to happen. But potentially inflation might have started to uh, level out a little bit. And if interest rates are doing their job, potentially then the Fed can maybe take their foot off the brake a little bit, which could help some of these stocks. So uh, macro side of things, I think they've already made the mistake. They're playing catch up. I agree with all of that. But potentially inflation might have peaked a little bit and only time will tell. But uh, that could bode well for some of your satellite choices. All right. You had a response, Andrew? How could I argue with Adam? Oh, well, 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 okay, we're not going to go down a, a macro or yeah. into a macro <laughs> rabbit hole, but um, yeah, I <laughs> think you're trying to justify why you got a bold buy, whereas Correct. Andrew's got a hold on it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Fair we agree on the thematic. It's just the timing. That's yeah. the only point. Okay. We're All right, yeah, fair call. Okay, let's move on to uh, beta shares, Australian quality ETF AQLT, comprising forty uh, high quality Aussie companies, selecting uh, based on quality metrics of high return on equity, low leverage, relative earnings, stability. Simon wants a view on this. Uh, he says, when you read the top 10 stocks, it initially looks like a who's who of solid Australian shares until you reach WiseTech Global at number nine. Surely this is too dodgy for a quality index. The back test of performance is okay, but not awesome. Do you have a view as a set and forget ETF, Andrew? Thank you, Andrew. Um, so I, I guess my, so as a starting point and uh, Qual will raise its head a little bit later on in, in our broadcast today, uh, Qual the one ETF to rule them all, or if we think about quality as a factor and many times on the drop every second Thursday at uh, 9.30 for those playing at home, I talk lots about factors determinant of ETF performance or share price performance in fact quality is a factor and you just rattled off what some of the things you might think about when you're looking for a quality business you're looking for high return on equity you're looking for steady to increasing earnings and you're looking for low to even potentially falling levels of debt they these are three determinants of quality businesses so beta shares have come out with a very new etf at the 4th of april i think that's how new it is aqlt so australian quality and the names mentioned are quality macquarie CSL, we could certainly have a, uh, an objective discussion around whether WiseTech sort of ticks that box or not, certainly on the numbers it does and in the context of um, its business that it runs and so forth. But at a high level, these are quality businesses. And if you have a look at the returns of what has actually taken place 
with these styles of businesses and how they've, well, how this index rather has outperformed the index. I was looking at it just before the index or a back test of the index. It's up 12% per annum over the last five years, whereas if we look at the broader ASX S&P 200, it is up 9% per annum. So basically, this index, this basket of, e of shares has outperformed the market by about 25% per annum over the last five years. So from my point of view, I like it. I like quality as a factor. However, it is only brand new. And again, if, you try, if you're playing at home and you've got your little bingo card, one of the things that it sounds like Adam is on board with me as well, you're just cautious, you're just careful. When you, new ETFs start, you just want to see them settle. You just want the market to be across them. quite like it, but it's just pretty new. Adam. Yeah, I agree. You need some time uh, to do this uh, and, and to, to watch the, 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 the formula that they've used to create this ETF, right? And that's the key. And that's why I'll just go on a little bit about this WiseTech for you because that is the as part of the highest quality or part of the, the latest rebalance that these guys have done. WiseTech has actually performed very, very well over sort of the, the, the medium term going forward. With respect to WiseTech, it's got an ROE, so return on equity of 18%. You want something around that at sort of 20%, but 18% is very, very respectable and has low debt to equity of sort of 5%. So it actually sits up quite well in that business. One of their biggest holdings is um, Macquarie, which is about 7.5% of the portfolio. But also when you look at the ASX 200, Macquarie only makes up 3.4%. So they've really gone in uh, uh, with that quality side of things. In saying all of that, I can buy these on the market. I don't need an ETF to do it. Yes, mm -hmm. it is an easy way for you to get exposure to the list of those stocks uh, going forward. But for me, I'd rather manage my money and do it myself. Uh, for me, it would be, uh, I, I'm going to say no, because I can do this all myself. And in fact, you can go in, look at the ETFs, you can look at the transparency, and you can create your own portfolio as well. I love ETFs because I can get some diversification, which is key for this. But I love, I love it because I can get international exposure and I can't pick those kinds of stocks myself. So for me, as a stockbroker, I can do this pretty much myself uh, going forward. So I would, I would say no to this one, uh, but also give it some more time to really sort of get its stripes. Okay, so it's a no at the moment for Australian yep. quality ETF. Let's move to Vanix. Wide Moat, M-O-A-T ETF, exposure to a diversified portfolio of attractively priced US companies with sustainable competitive advantages. Uh, now, Ben wanted to know, could, the, uh, could Andrew do a deep dive uh, and a focus on the quality companies which Morningstar believes possess sustainable competitive advantages? Does this ETF provide better value than a broad-based S&P 500 ETF such as IVV accounting for the performance after fees? And does the one ETF to rule them all, Qual, outperform Moat, Andrew? There a is lot of a questions lot there. Yeah. There is, sorry. There is a lot to unpack and I'm mindful we've got a lot to talk about, but yeah. some of these numbers will really help illustrate this. So to answer Ben's first question, has Qual performed better than Moat? Over one year, no. Over three years, they have comparable performance. They're both up 17% per annum. I might just address the IVV question. IVV is the S&P 500. So if you just want, if you just go, look, I don't know which one to buy, but I just want to buy the top 500 quality businesses, because that's really what we're saying. That's what the S&P 500 should be, the top 500 businesses in the US. 
you just buy IVV. It's four basis points as an MER, which is incredibly cheap. Most of the other ones we've been talking about are 30, 40, 50 basis points. Uh, but guess what? Over the last three years, it's also up 17% per annum. So it's had similar levels of return versus the moat and versus qual. So nothing wrong with IVV. I would think IVV, though, you probably buy something like VGAD or VGS, something like that. Anyway, that's for another day. Relating to moat versus qual, we've just identified that over three years, their return has actually been the same. I then had a look at what we call the sharp ratio. So the sharp ratio is whereby we're seeing how much excess return is being generated for a given level of risk. So one is the magic number. Anything over one is good. Anything under one, well, it's not terrible, but it's not great. So the sharp ratio for moat is 1.18. The sharp ratio for qual is 1.27. So you're actually getting a better risk-adjusted return with qual than you are over moat. So if we then have a look at how moat is constructed, as Ben says in his question, moat is constructed by a um, qualitative um, or a, um, a subjective feeling by Morningstar analysts, whereas um, qual is just rules-based. So it's a quantitative measure. So again, you're taking that emotion out of it. Um, Probably the other big difference between moat and qual, moat is only 26% IT, whereas qual at the moment is 39% IT because it's full of Apple and it's full of Microsoft, etc. So I like moat. I've got moat in my clients' portfolios, but benefits of SmackDown, unfortunately, or fortunately, qual remains the one ETF to root them all. So do you hold moat? Oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with moat at all. And yeah. and my point around rising bond yields, if you're that guy, you probably actually want moat in the short term because okay. as bond yields continue to rise, IT yep. to keep on getting good. Fair enough, Adam. Uh, so, well look, uh, uh, sharp ratios and all that kind of stuff is a nice and fancy way, but I'll distill it down to a normal way of looking at it. Qual is an international ETF. Moat focuses on the US market. So you're really not comparing apples to apples, okay? So you would definitely, I think Qual, I agree with Andrew 100%. It is the best one. We've got Qual in every one of the clients' portfolios, 5% weighting. Um, it's absolutely fantastic and will continue to do well. So I don't think that there's a crossover um, because you can't compare both of them. So yep, move on from that. I think overall Moat um, looks okay. Uh, it, it, it does have a look with through that IVV and comparing that. Andrew is absolutely right. Um, one I would think I would say with Moat though, it is a very well evenly spaced. IVV has got seven percent of Apple, six percent of Microsoft. You know, it's quite heavily weighted to those tech side of things. Mm. Whereas um, uh, Moat has you know two percent in Merck, two percent in Amazon, two percent in Campbell's, two percent in Kellogg. So I think it's a more diversified Australians. Uh, Australian. A US uh, ETF. For me, it would be a hold for moat. It's a buy for qual. Okay. All right. Now to a sector and thematic that has been hot recently. Uh, ETFs, uh, battery tech and lithium, ACDC, exposure to the energy storage production, mega trend, including companies involved in supply chain production for battery tech and lithium. Leon, saying uh, with those lithium stock going gangbusters, why doesn't ACDC follow suit? Is it because the ACDC basket of stocks contains some really bad performers or perhaps some of the stocks may not strictly be lithium miners, but instead 
companies along other sections of the value chain, uh, such as car makers, uh, if there are laggards, is the ETF regularly reviewed to kick out the underperformers, uh, Adam? So uh, let's go to that last question um, uh, on the review side. It is uh, reviewed uh, semi-annually, so it, it does take time for those um, reviews to come through. So um, it's not as probably fast-paced as you potentially would have thought some of the other ETFs. The fund has a large exposure to European companies. Around 20% of the fund has European side of things. So that is where we're getting some underperformance uh, in there at the moment. And then entire value chain of electronic vehicles, batteries and lithiums. But lithium mining currently only represents two stocks in the ACDC portfolio, Minres and Pilbara. Minres is doing really, really well and Pilbara are doing fantastically as well. But I think it's really around the direct Russia-Ukraine conflict that has really, really hurt uh, this one. And also has been negatively impacted by the electronic vehicle and battery manufacturers at the moment. Tesla, Tesla reported last Saturday that it delivered 305,000 cars in the first quarter, even though with suffering from supply chains, this demonstrates that there's strong demand for electronic vehicles going forward. So I think overall we're seeing accelerating uh, electronic vehicles, new car sales, Norway's up 72%, Sweden's up 45%. I can continue on that they're all moving in double digits going forward. Mm. So I think that the future for ACDC is looking good and is, and is strong. I'm okay with this one. I've got it in clients' portfolios. I'm gonna say with Andrew's ter- terminology, this is definitely a satellite side of things. So you wouldn't be putting the kitchen sink in, but I'm gonna stay with a buy on this one because if the European issues do get sorted out, yep, this will do very well. Okay, Andrew. It's a buy. Um, we've been on this for quite a while and uh, for all the reasons that Adam's pointed out, but I think it's really important to note it isn't just miners, it's also sort of battery storage, battery technology. And so in fact, miners only make up about 22% of this ETF. So. As uh, Leon quite rightly points out, if you had a solely concentrated focus on miners, they've been on an absolute tear, whereas you've got more diversification. So when things are humming along, this will hurt this ETF, but when things are sort of falling away and everyone hates lithium miners, and uh, for those of us with long enough memories, as in the last 18 months, lithium was on the nose there for a period of time, then this will actually help protect you in that sort of environment. Um, so I quite like it. It's down 3% for the year, but it's still up 25% per annum for the last three years. So, uh, Andrew, it is a buy. All right, good one. Let's then round off with something a bit different. An ETF for those approaching retirement or already there. Robin wanted to know about this, is uh, saying as we near retirement age, we look for stocks that pay a nice dividend. And I do like the thought of ETFs and have been looking for one with a high dividend. I know this isn't the norm, but could you please ask the whisperer what he'd recommend? Andrew. I'm going to keep Jenny, so Okay, so basically I've given two answers. So I've given a boring answer and then a less boring answer. Uh, so the, the boring answer is a balanced ETF from Vanguard, VDBA. So VDBA has returned total return. So let's just stop there for a moment. The question talks about dividend return. So that's one component of return. The other component of return is capital growth, of course. 
And so when I started 25 years ago as a stockbroker, you know, it was hammered into me, million dollar portfolio for people, 5% fully frank dividend, 50 grand a year plus franking credits. And for 20 plus years, that worked a treat until last year or the year before rather, 2020, when it didn't, when a number of these companies stopped paying dividends. And it really just sort of reinforced to me the importance of total return. Because if you look at the volatility, things moving around, the ASX volatility is about 12% per annum, moves up and down in that band around 12% per annum. If you look at VDBA, its volatility is about 7% per annum. So I'm a retiree, um, I've worked super hard for my money, I don't necessarily need to see my money moving 12% per annum up and down if I can get that 6% per annum return, 3% dividend, 3% growth. So that's the, the boring answer. If you're looking for the less boring answer, uh, Robin, then you might think about something like VHY, again from Vanguard, and it simply has an income focus. It's just literally buying the top dividend payers. So you have your BHPs and your Combanks and your Wes Farmers and your Rios and whatever the case may be. So again, remembering that volatility benchmark we're using is 12%. The volatility in VHY is, wait for it, 18%. So that's why I'm probably less inclined to pick this one for a retiree because it's the, the companies within this are moving around 18% per annum. But to answer the question relating to the dividend piece, it's been paying around 4.9% per annum. So if your sole focus is dividend, VHY, but understanding you're going to cop a lot more volatility. But if you're wanting to be a bit more boring, nothing wrong with boring, vanilla is my favourite type of ice cream, then VDBA with uh, that 6% per annum total return, 3% dividend might be the way to go. Yep, okay, uh, Adam, nothing wrong with vanilla, particularly as you're approaching retirement, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I know we're running short on time, so I'm gonna make this pretty quick. I agree with Andrew, VHY is probably the one or is the one that you would look for for, for that income. I would just be really careful with reading the product disclosure statement and seeing what's under the hood for a lot of these high income style ETFs, okay? Because the way that they are able to get that higher level of income, and I'm not saying VHY does this or any of them do this, but I want you to make sure as an investor, you're looking under the hood before you make these, uh, make these decisions, is that they use options and option strategies like a covered call strategy to then move in to get extra income going forward for you. Now, as an 80 year old client who's just thinking they're getting some great income, are they aware that they're actually using synthetics or options, which are high risk trading strategies inside of these ETFs? So I'd be really, really careful what you're actually investing in and for a promise to get, you know, sort of 10% yield or, or, or all these kinds of things, I'd be really careful. Look under the hood, speak to a professional, because all of these things will play and they could be quite disastrous to your retirement income or to your retirement savings because of the strategies that they're using going forward. For me, VHY is a buy. Excellent. Okay, and that rounds it off for us. Let's summarise where we've been for the second half of the show. Uh, we started there with Vanek, video gaming and esports, uh, the ESPO. Uh, Adam's got a buy on it. So he mentions 3 billion gamers in the world at the moment. That's only growing. His son is among them. So why wouldn't you have a buy on it, which he has. Uh, Andrew's got a hold on it as one of his satellite holdings there. Just concerned with some exposure to those Chinese companies and rising rates at the same time. Uh, BetaShares 
quality ETF AQLT. Uh, Andrew saying, look, it is relatively new. It is um, its index has outperformed the market by 25%. Uh, Adam, though, he's not interested, saying he'd rather just buy the stocks directly. Uh, Van X uh, Moat ETF, uh, and uh, Andrew's um, well, he's got a hold on it, as does uh, Adam. And then we have the battery tech and lithium, which uh, we just know how hot that is at the moment. That's space. Uh, Adam's got to buy, uh, as does uh, Andrew, uh, large exposure to European stocks, uh, Adam's saying, although Ukraine situation is hurting it, but overall looking good longer term. And we rounded it out there with, you know, what to get hold of, particularly if you're approaching retirement or in it. Uh, and uh, Andrew came up with a couple of boring ones, but there's nothing wrong with that. VDBA from Vanguard. Um, and also VHY from Vanguard, which is income focused, and that's also Adam's recommendation, VHY from Vanguard. All right, that does it for today's show. Let's uh, thank our guest, Adam. Thanks for joining us from Shoring Partners. As always, happy to be here. And you competed with the whisperer himself. I know. Andrew I know. from DP Wealth. Good one. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Jets. All right, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email at call at ausbiz.com.au. You can tweet us at TV. And a reminder, you can find those stocks in the course portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio.